John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, you've been waiting for it. You've been pining for it. You've been trying to wait, and it's finally here. Football starts tonight with the... uh, game between and a real good one between the Houston Texans and the Kansas City Chiefs and of course I think everybody's excited about that still lots of things going on as far as NBA we've got the uh, baseball of course no baseball today uh, kind of interesting to see but uh, uh, you can see it's going to be uh, kind of a fun fun day overall because again you got a good football game coming up tonight so let's get started with the five biggest stories of the day number one it's very exciting uh, be the first game of the year uh, all this anticipation, um, but at the same time, it's just that we're playing a football game, and I think uh, it's all the hard work that, I, that that me and Deshaun, and knowing how he works, have, have put in to, to be in this situation, to go out there with our teammates and try to, to win a football game. And so I'm just excited for the opportunity um, to go out there on a nationally televised game and get to play at Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah, so Patrick Mahomes gets a chance to uh, start the season. You got Deshaun Watson. He got his new contract, and so a lot of excitement coming there. Nevertheless, it's going to be, uh, you know, looking forward to what's going to be, I think, a very good football game, and I think it's going to be high scoring, you know, because you don't know where the defenses are going to be. You know you've got two quarterbacks. You know you've got a lot of receivers. I mean, what, uh, the Texans have four receivers making – $44 $44 million combined, and you know how fast the receiving core is for the Kansas City Chiefs. But, uh, no, I think it's going to be kind of fun uh, to see how it's going to be able to go. Uh, so, nevertheless, uh, you know, let's kind of look and see how this game's going to be. Again, both teams a little challenged on defense. But, again, you got a Kansas City Chiefs team that won the Super Bowl last year. And, overall, I think it's going to be kind of fun to, uh, to watch and see. And so, uh, nevertheless, I think it's going to be a good time. But uh, we'll see how it goes. Nevertheless, follow this game and of course the good part is you know both these teams go in pretty healthy there's not a real injury factor I think that's going to be encouraging so uh, we'll see the fun part of this game but again I think uh, Curtis Rogers how excited are you that the football season is finally here oh John (laughs) it's been so long since we've had football it feels so good to actually be talking about a, a real game a game that will count and uh, yeah, I'm super excited for it, John. Tonight, 5:20 kickoff on NBC. Going to be uh, an exciting game, even though there's going to be very few people in the stands, if any at all, at Arrowhead. But uh, hey, it's Pat Mahomes, it's Sean Watson. Doesn't get much better than that in terms of quarterback matchup. No, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. I know we're all looking forward to it. So that's going to be, and of course, Pete Prisco from CBS Sports will be joining us at 11 to get into this game and get into the season. Number two. Well, he's he's. Uh, really bright kid and picking up the system has been nothing for him it's been really easy he's had good competitive work not as much as some other guys i mean if you look at it, say like he had pulls hamstring or something like that you know what would it be like you know it's kind of he's missed it, uh, enough days that he hasn't got them all and you can tell a little bit but uh, because of the savvy player that he is the experience that he has um you know we would be comfortable if he's on the field playing for us yeah, and you kind of get the feeling from that that uh, Quentin Dunbar may, may not start in week one, but you know he's definitely going to play. That puts Trey Flowers into position to starting. You know, Dunbar missed so much time, you know, trying to get his legal situation going, and then he had to fly back uh, for a death in the family, and so he's missed a lot of time, but he is catching up, and ultimately he is going to be the starter. So what the question is going to be, and again, I think Trey Flowers is going to bounce back. I think that he's such a good cornerback. Again, he didn't have the great season last year. A lot of things worked against him, but he's worked hard and done that. So 
What we're going to find out is how good this secondary is going to be, but I think it's going to be pretty good because there's so many options right now. You know, Marquise Blair, you know, winning the slot job uh, as far as being the nickel cornerback. <clears throat> that looks to be happening. And again, because it's the first game and nobody's played, I can't imagine that you're going to have too many players playing all their snaps. <clears throat> so you have to rotate in there because, you know, no games before this. I mean, you can have simulated things on the practice field, but it's not going to be the same as games and, you know, 60, 65 plays. Now, we've got the full coverage right now on the Seahawks. You're going to have a full day schedule. So from noon to 2, it's going to be the huddle. From 7 until 9 p.m., it's going to be Hawks Live with Dave Wyman. Lots of stuff coming up because the Hawks just around the corner playing the Atlanta Falcons. Number three. Here's the next offer on the way, and a swing and a miss by Marmaleos for strike three. And the ball game is over. The Giants win it tonight. A final score of 10 to 1. They sweep the brief two game series here in San Francisco. The uh, Giants came in with an even record of 21 and 21 and showed that uh, at the moment they are the better team. And so what you can see is that uh, they lose 10 to 1. They, as Scott Service said after the game, they haven't had, it's been a while since they've had a bad game like that. You know, with some injuries right now in the starting rotation, that could be a little bit of a concern. But they, they have the day off today. They're still two and a half games behind the Astros in the playoff race and also for second place. So they're still within there. And of course, they got a three game series coming up against a very bad Arizona Diamondback team. You know, the Mariners were only able to muster about five hits against the Giants. You know, Mike Yerskemski was able to get a three run home run in the third inning, and that basically put the game out of reach. So, day off today, uh, team resumes going against the Diamondbacks on the road tomorrow night. Number four. I mean, we have we have film on him. You know, at the end of the day, he's a he's a great quarterback. I think you know what he's really good at is recognizing the play. Um, he's able to check. You know, if he sees a blitz, he's able to check out of the, the play that they have and kind of run opposite. And so he's really smart. Um, knows how to get the balls to his playmakers. And so it's something that we just have to be mindful of. We have to be ready for. And uh, you know, it's always fun to go up against guys like that. That's Bobby Wagner talking about Matt Ryan. And, of course, uh, Bobby gets a chance to go against a very good quarterback. And a quarterback that has meant a lot because there's been some good matchups. You know, the playoff matchup uh, in really the first playoff year in 2012. Seattle was able to grab a lead late in Atlanta. But then all of a sudden, boom, you know, Matt Ryan comes back and gets the field goal drive to win the game. So now the big thing is going to be, you know, figuring out how good Todd Gurley is going to be, how good the running game is going to be. I mean, this is a team in Atlanta that you have to kind of figure out how good is it. I mean, it was good enough to win six out of his last eight games, but also got off to a one and seven start. They only had 28 sacks last year. And so you can see there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. They're so young in the secondary because, you know, they now have a rookie cornerback on one side, a younger quarterback on the other side. So they're trying to put that together, and that could be something that Russell Wilson could take advantage of. We'll see where they are because both teams kind of what question what they where they are as far as their pass rush. The uh, Falcons were able to get uh, Dante Fowler to a three-year, forty-five million dollar contract. Oh, and by the way. The, I got a Clay Matthews update. You know, the Denver Broncos, after losing Von Miller, tried to get him, but they made him an offer he refused. Now he still wants to play. And, uh, 
My guess is what I hear is $5 million. And so I don't know if Seattle wants to go to $5 million and pay him. I guess it's right now probably not happening because it's almost too late in the week. But Clay Matthews, you know, actually scolded Adam Schefter today for kind of saying that uh, you know he may not want to play this year. Well, he does want to play, but apparently he has a price tag that is going to be, uh, if he doesn't get it, maybe he might sit out. But at least at this stage, he did talk to Denver. He turned down their offer. We'll see where he is with Seattle. But uh, overall, I think it's going to be an interesting game coming up here to see which of the two teams has the better pass rush and which of the two teams can do the better pass blocking. Number five. Ian Rappaport and I reporting that contract talks have now broken off between Cook and the Vikings. Now, of course, there's still time until the regular season. Cook said recently he's focused on week one, wants his agent and the team to take as much time as they need. However, as of now, it certainly appears as if Cook is headed toward playing out the last year of his rookie deal with a franchise tag looming in 2021. And that looks like it's heading in that direction. Now we'll see if Alvin Kamara is able to get some kind of a deal because I think there's more progress on Kamara's contract talks than there are Cook. But it looks like Cook is not going to get that extension or at least is going to have to wait into the season to do it. There's no update, of course, on Chris Carson. There is some progress, I think, on getting something done with Shaquille Griffin. You know, and what I still look at is that we just watched the Jalen Ramsey deal going at, the, you know, $20.5 million. And, you know, it's like 20.1 million, 105 million over five years. Uh, but uh, certainly Shaquille's not going to get that. My guess is going to be more in the range of the Trey Wayne's deal and uh, maybe the James Bradbury deal, somewhere in that 13 to 14 million dollar range. But again, uh, nothing done as yet. Cap situation for the Vikings still very tight. Remember, they had to have Riley Reef almost leave the team because if he didn't take a pay cut, uh, they had to cut him and they tried to trade him, but nothing like that's happened. Happening. Cook's seeking about $13 million a year, and you can see at the moment he's not able to get it. Hey, you can listen to the show on the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and say which of the two is the bigger concern, the offensive line, the defensive line. We'll get into that next. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. We're going to further review and uh, talk about uh, you know the two things that the biggest areas of uh, interest this year on this team. You know, is the offensive line good enough? Is the defensive line good enough? Certainly, we know the secondary is good enough because that's been where a lot of the resources have gone to, and a lot of resources have gone to the defensive line and also the offensive line. And so, I guess the question is going to be, and I don't know if you want to phrase it this way, but I guess, but maybe if you're I guess on the negative side, you think the cup's not full, it's more half empty or empty. It's like, which going to be is the biggest concern for the Seahawks, offensive line or defensive line? Uh, Danny DeGallant had uh, Brock Hewitt on today, and let's hear his response. What's more concerning to you, Brock, is it the Seahawks' offensive line keeping Deshaun, excuse me, keeping Russell from getting hurt, or is it that defensive line which, you know, when we take a look back at recent Super Bowl champions, there have not been yeah. many teams that have been able to do it without a solid defensive line. Yeah, for me, it is, it's a defensive line because Russell has always been able to make whatever really is in front of him work. And, and I like Posick at center. You know, we talked about that on Tuesday. I think he earned that job, and I think he's a good fit there. Um, you, you know, you have some experience if, if you want to get to that. If Damian Lewis is really struggling, you have some other guards, or Marco Jones that have started some games. You like Phil Henry, obviously, Ayupati's on the other side with Dwayne Brown, and there's a lot of comfort there. 
I think your tight ends, um, you know, a Greg Olson and a Disley, can both be an extension of that offensive line and are, are, are both guys that are highly capable of helping in the run game, possibly in the pass game if you need those guys to stay in. So while there's um, inexperience and, and it looks like you're going to start a, a rookie week number one in Damian Lewis and Shell is much more of a run guy than he is a pure pass blocker, I feel good because Russell can, can compensate and I think make those guys better. Uh, the fact that the last year, and everybody talks about the 28 sacks that the Seahawks had, uh, to me, I look at those QB hits and it was pretty telling that last year the Seahawks were fourth from the bottom in the league in just hitting the quarterback. 68 hits. And more telling to me, Paul, was the teams that surrounded them, Miami, Oakland, the Chargers, Falcons, Lions, Bears, Broncos, Browns, Colts. Every one of those teams did not make the playoffs. So you know, your bottom nine in that stat, if you can't hit, harass, and impact the quarterback, you're you're largely not making the playoffs year in and year out as, as those teams represent all around them. So to me, that that's still the biggest concern. Can they please hit Matt Ryan on Sunday morning? Can they impact him? Can they get to him? Can they make him uncomfortable? Because if he's clean and he's having the time of his life in that, in that pocket, and the Todd Gurley's, I think, going to add a little more run mix to them, that's not a good recipe to play defense. No, it isn't. But, of course, I think that there is improvement. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, the predictions on this team are all over the boards. Some teams have the uh, Seahawks as the uh, sixth best team in the league. Uh, some even have them as high as four. And then others have them down like 11 or 12, which is really, I think, that uh, you know it's not as good of a read on this team. But I do think that and what you're looking at is you know a team that will be able to get better sack production than they did last year for a couple reasons. Number one, you know they've got more speed, which I think is very important, you know, particularly when you add the speed of Bruce Irvin, you add, you know, Benson Mayoa, who can at least, you know, rush from the Leo position. He's a little bit bigger. Uh, you've got LJ Collier winning the uh, five technique. I think, you know, he'll be able to get some bull rushes and get some things going there. And, of course, you got Jaron Reed now for 16 games and not 10. And then, you know, <clears throat> it looks like Alton Robinson might be the sleeper of the group. I think you're going to see an improved Rasheen Green. And you're going to see a rotation that's going to at least, I think, work reasonably well. I mean, is there a superstar on the line? No, there isn't. Genevieve Clowney went to uh, the Tennessee Titans, but I think that's going to improve. And I honestly do think that the offensive line is going to be better because really when you think about this, you know, it's like Jermaine Effetti, uh, as solid as he was as a available starter, struggled. I mean, the penalties, certainly the mistakes, the uh, bad blocking at times, and, you know, it got to the point where not only did he just get minimum salary, but he had to move his position. I mean, he's now a guard. And so then you got uh, DJ Fluker, I think everybody liked a lot, but, I mean, he couldn't garner much. He had to end up uh, going to Baltimore for basically the minimum salary, but also to make matters even worse, he admitted he was 44% body fat. And so now you look, Brandon Shell, I think, is going to be better as far as that goes. Sure, they've got to try to cover him maybe with an extra tight end on his side so that he doesn't give up his usual seven sacks a year because uh, he's done that the last couple years i think that posick just like brock heward said is a good find at the center position and then i think that damian lewis is going to be the wild card in this because if they are as good as they they think he is then i think that solidifies that guard position and certainly with a guy that's lighter and better shape and you know can get to that second level that was the one thing that dj fluker was not able to do get to that second level particularly in the run game so i don't know curtis it's like uh, i mean everybody seems to panic it's still that clown 
bounty or bust idea. The offensive line's never going to be any good. You know, I don't buy it. I think it's going to be better. Yeah, I I think the offensive line. I'm not expecting huge gains by them. Not huge improvements, I should say. Uh, I think they are kind of what they're always going to be. I, I don't think it's going to be any worse or any better than what it was uh, a year ago or the year before that. Uh, I think with Mike Solari as the offensive line coordinator, I think that's going to be uh, a huge benefit to this group, and especially because they're bringing back you know Yupati and Brown on that left side, which is obviously the most important side to any quarterback. That's Russell Wilson. There's a lot of familiarity there. Obviously, the center position is going to be a big question mark, especially with Ethan Posick taking over for Justin Britt full-time. Uh, I think on the right side of the line, you've got, what, Damian Lewis, Brandon Shell. Going to be interesting to see how those two guys work. Uh, Shell, kind of the big question mark to me on that offensive line because the Jets didn't want him, and that's why he's coming over to the Seahawks. And, and anytime a bad franchise doesn't want a player, you kind of wonder what's up with this guy. But I look at Brandon Shell. There, first off, there's no way he's going to commit as many penalties as Jermaine Effetti did. That's just impossible. Effetti was the most penalized offensive lineman in football for years, uh, which means that there's a better chance that the Seahawks don't have those drive crippling penalties. You know, the holding calls, the false starts that you know five, ten yards that take you out of uh, field goal range or that make it second and long, third and long, what have you. Uh, I think the offensive line, to me, John, I think it's much more easier to predict than what the defensive line is going to do. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like uh, you know, you, you bring up the idea. It's like, well, you, what if uh, the the Jets not wanting him? It's like <laughs> the Jets didn't want to pay uh, Jamal Adams, True. and he's here. <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, I, are we now starting to put the uh, oh, they're really smart there with the New York Jets, and they replace four guys on the offensive line with a young quarterback, and uh, you know, look at the mistakes that they. Made over the last couple of years. Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell. They signed him, and that was a, looking to be a disaster. I mean, you can see how bad. I mean, right now, you can see this team. I mean, it's a battle right now for fourth place in the AFC East, and I think the Jets might have the lead. Yeah, it's and that's a division that has taken so many step backs over the last couple of years. The Bills just because they have not, you know been worse they just kind of elevate themselves to the top of the division i wouldn't put buffalo as 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 one of the tier one contenders in the afc even though they won what 11 games last year Mm -hmm. i i still wouldn't put them anywhere near the top near kansas city uh near baltimore near maybe houston uh tennessee buffalo maybe probably the fifth or sixth best team in the afc right now and the Jets, boy, they are going to be – I think they're going to be challenging Jacksonville for for near the top of the uh, draft there because that is just a very poorly run organization. C.J. Mosley, their best defensive player, uh, or at least their highest paid defensive player now, he's going to miss the season. He only played, what, three games last year? That's looking like a terrible contract uh, that they gave him. So, yeah, John, great point that, you know, why are we so concerned with how the Jets feel about a player when they've made so many swings and misses over the years? Exactly. I mean, it's like, uh, and, and say what you want, I guess, you know, we're still waiting to see what B.J. Finney can offer because he didn't want a starting job. But it's like, you know, they have George Fant at left tackle. And, uh, you know, is that going to work out or not work out? I think that's a big question mark right now.
Yeah, and they they're paying Fant a lot of money nine, too. Yeah, paying nine million, and, they, and Seattle was able to get uh, you know Shell and Finney for a little less than nine million. Yeah, and, uh, and for as good of a, a person as George Fant was, and what he gave the Seahawks organization, I I never saw a nine million dollar a year right tackle. Did you, John? Uh, no, I did yeah. not. I mean. <laughs> And again, it's like uh, I mean he he's got good athletic ability, but uh, you know I, I think this is going to work much much better. Is it going to be a top line? No, absolutely not. But again, if you can just get it you know into the twenties, into the nineteens, somewhere like that, then you're in good shape. Hey, uh, you can tell your smart speaker to play seven ten ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to seven ten on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to check in with Bob Condota of the Seattle Times. It's the John Clayton Show seven ten ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Bob Condota. And of course, uh, you know, the roster is pretty well set. And uh, as you've been pretty much uh, writing most of this, almost the entire time, uh, the final cut was reasonably predictable. I mean, there was a couple little surprises, but it looked like uh, for the most part that going into that final cut that, you know, 50 or 51 of the probably the spots were pretty well figured out. For sure. Yeah. I, you know, um, Paul Richardson was sort of a surprise, I guess, just from the standpoint of when you bring him back and then, and then you're cutting him five days later or whatever. Um, you know, that, that, that seemed to, that just seemed a little, a little odd, but it wasn't, if you really heard what Pete Carroll said, um, you know, the final day we talked to him before cutdown day where he talked about, you know, Paul hadn't been able to get out there a lot for practice. I think maybe uh, maybe his physical conditioning or whatever wasn't quite where they thought it was going to be in terms of, of him being able to uh, be able to immediately help them. So, you know, maybe a guy they can always go back to if, if they run into some issues at receiver. And this team Griffin, you know, that was kind of, I think we all portrayed that as sort of a bubble guy from the start. And, uh, you know, no preseason games obviously made it a little bit hard from the outside sometimes to predict exactly where, where these things are going. I, I went back and forth with Shaquem. I had him on, off a couple times and on a couple times. And, and uh, um, you know, Ken Norton had really, had really talked him up when we talked to him a couple weeks ago and about how he was the backside strength side linebacker. So I think that led to some thought that he was going to make it. But, you know, as we saw, um, all these guys made it through waivers and they were able to get it back on the practice squad. You know, as you know, with the new practice squad rules this year, that it's more likely than ever you see some of these guys who are waived, like Shaquem Griffin, um, you know, actually on the active roster from you know any given week and helping you on Sunday. So, you know, it, waving Shaquem over the weekend was not a sign at all that they don't they didn't still want him around. It was just sort of a way to set the roster and you know so take a little bit of a gamble that he's going to get through waivers and then you get him back. Yeah, and that's the thing I think is kind of interesting about that is that, uh, I mean, you look at it and, you know, I was a little surprised about the John Ursua thing. We'll get into that in a second. But, uh, yeah, you know, and I think the reason that uh, Griffin was the, uh, you know, the bubble guy that you had him on, had him off, I had him on, had him off, it was that he was roster spot 53. And so, you know, whether it was going to be keeping uh, David Moore, which he was able to take the pay cut and uh, stay here, I mean, he offered more special teams as far as coverage. Now, Ursura may have been able to do some things there, but uh, and Shaquem was good on special teams. But also with the receiving group, I mean, you still have a bunch, you know, a handful or a couple guys that, you know, can't go out and play special teams. What's your thoughts on Josh Gordon? Is there any update on that? I, I have not heard anything new on that, huh? And uh, I think that's maybe that's a little bit of a surprise. I think when he signed last week, there, there was a thought that uh, 
um, you know, something w- was imminent. But, you know, maybe Pete Carroll was was uh, was telling the total truth when he told us that they really didn't know anything and that they just, just sort of made sense to sign him at that time to get him on the roster at least. Um, you know, he was going to – he – uh, he, he was going to be part of the 80-man roster during training camp, and I guess you could have brought him in, and he, and he could have he, he could have done some things for you. But this way, at least by having him now, you put him on the suspended list, and so he's not counting on your roster. And then when they do take him off, you can you can uh, begin to have him and, and uh, you know kind of get him back onto the team. But you know, obviously for this week, I don't think it's happening because uh, you know everything is sort of set for this week. So maybe that's something we we hear about sometime early next week. Yeah, no question. <clears throat> so now, um, how good do you think this team is after watching it through? training camp, seeing how the team came together. Yeah, it's interesting. I was doing a thing that will run in the paper here either today or tomorrow where I sort of ranked the position groups. And as I went through that, I kept being like, man, this is pretty hard to do because, you know, trying to say um, what's worse out of out of some of these positions. And it was like they all seem uh, – most of them seem like they're better than they were a year ago. Uh, and uh, maybe that's just sort of uh, – um, you know, training camp optimism, and when you don't see preseason games, you sort of just, you know, you don't see them ever do anything bad, I guess. You just sort of see them practice every day, and, and a lot of things look good, and they stayed pretty healthy. Um, you know, they really only lost one guy in training camp to a significant injury to, who was somebody who was probably going to help them this year, and Brandon Jackson. So, um, you know, I, they're deeper, at, you know, you're deeper at running back, you're deeper at tight end, um, you know, you're deeper at receiver, uh, you know, you've still got Russell Wilson. Uh, obviously, the defensive line is a question, but you, you at least I think I think uh, as, uh, compared to last year, you do have a few more players who are kind of proven, I guess. And, and, you know, Benson and Bruce, instead of like putting it all on a guy like Ziggy Ansa, who hadn't done anything during training camp, and you're suddenly counting on him week one to really help you out. And then I think the secondary is just going to be measurably better, and I think that's going to help the defense uh, as a whole. Um, I had to do a prediction for the paper, and I think I picked them to go 11 and five, which is the same record as last year. But I feel like they're going to be a better team and, and maybe be a better 11 and five than they were last year. Yeah, because that's the thing. I mean, that what people I think around the country, although it's been funny looking at all the different rankings and stuff like that. <clears throat> some people, if you had it as number four team in the league, now as a number six, and then some have it as number 13. And I'm thinking, now wait a second. There's more athletes to rush the quarterback. There's more speed on the defense. There's more speed on the offense it's still russell wilson and i think the offensive line will be better yeah and, and, the, and i didn't mention the offensive line and that's that's going to be um a uh, really big thing to watch this first week is how does that come together and you're right there's certainly reason to to be optimistic and probably the biggest surprise really is was ethan Posick winning the center job because that was not at all what you thought was going to happen heading into camp you, i think we all thought bj finney would win that and we'll see, you know, is this a matter of Ethan Posted playing really well? Um, or, you know, is that something to be concerned about? Um, Ethan obviously didn't play a lot last year and, and, you know, has never really played center for him a whole lot. So, uh, we'll certainly be interested to see how that comes together. But with Dwayne Brown and Mike Ayupati back on the left side, you know, as long as those guys can stay healthy, you know, that's a really proven left side of the line there still. And then, um, you know, Damian Lewis was a guy they, they had high hopes for, uh, when they drafted him and he's held the starting right guard spot every single day in practice so um you know i think that's meaningful for sure and then brandon shell it was is an interesting guy and again until you see it happen um you know against another team you got to temper it slightly but he certainly you know look, he's a pretty athletic guy he seems like he moves pretty well out there and there's some things you know maybe they can do with him that uh, they weren't able to do with jermaine effetti there so um you know i it, and they're also but i also think they're just deeper on the offensive line you know you now 
um, some of your depth pieces would be guys who've at least played a lot. You know, instead of it ha- having to be last year like what happened in the Green Bay game, where you're suddenly throwing rookies in there who literally never played at all, suddenly having to play in a playoff game, and and that's one of the things I think is just better about this team at almost every single position. I just think they're sort of deeper everywhere, and and the guys that you might have to rely on when injuries inevitably hit are guys that are a lot more proven, I think, than what you had to go to at times last year. Uh, how do you think they're going to sort out the cornerback spot? Do you get the feeling that Trey Flowers is going to start, and then they'll kind of mix uh, Quentin Dunbar in there for the first game? Um, that would not surprise me at all, yeah, if that was sort of how it goes. Um, and again, I, I know that raised some eyebrows when Pete said he wasn't ready to make a call there, but uh, you know, the, this is more about Dunbar having missed a lot of time. He obviously, you know, he didn't, he didn't start practice until August 16th. Um, while his legal issues are getting cleared up. And then he's been away from the team a couple of different times for, for a personal matter, not related to any of that, but for, for a personal situation. And so he's just sort of missed some practice. And, uh, you know, so I, I think it's more, you know, I think they feel like Trey Flowers has played really has played really well in practice and I and then maybe better than he was at this time last year. And I, and I think if you, you know, instead of just throwing it all on, on Dunbar, Right from the start, you know, if you don't feel like he's ready, you could you could start Trey and then and then kind of roll Clinton in there and then kind of take it from there. So that would not surprise me at all if that's the way it goes. I certainly I certainly expect Clinton Dunbar to play, even if he isn't the quote unquote starter heading into this game. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, what do you see happening? Who do you think is going to be the third receiver? Well, I. As of right now, I think it's going to be David Moore. I mean, he sort of emerged as that guy with Philip Dorsett dealing with the sore foot that, that held him out. You know, we really didn't see Dorsett do much, you know, the last couple of weeks at all and, and in the mock games and things like that. And then, uh, you know, they obviously made the interesting roster decisions this week with, with Penny Hart um, the, being moved to the roster and, and John Ursua Wade and then back on the practice squad and then Freddie Swain, a, a rookie. Um, you know, deciding to keep him. I don't, I don't know if he was a bubble guy per se, but, you know, certainly a guy that there were times maybe you wondered if he was going to make the roster, but he did ultimately make it. And, um, uh, but I think, uh, you know, David Moore is probably the guy who's kind of had the best camp out of, out of all those guys, just in part by being healthy and being consistently out there a lot. So I think they'll probably start, start it with him and hope that they can get some stuff out of Dorsett and certainly work him in there. And then, then it'll be interesting to see if Penny Hart's a the guy they actually get on there. I, I, I get a little bit of a, uh, of a sense that, that he might be a guy they have, uh, higher hopes for than, than fans might think. Uh, you know, again, one of those things where you don't see pre, preseason games, so you didn't see him do much out there i think if there had been preseason games he might have been a guy who would have been one of the stars of the preseason and uh you know so he might so he's sort of an interesting guy and it'll be interesting to see if he's on the active roster and they get him out there sometimes. Mm. bob condota from the seattle times great job read him and of course uh you're doing you're pretty much what two three stories a day pretty consistent yeah pretty much yeah for sure i usually at least two anyway and kind of mm. depending on what's going on uh, to try to get some more in there and what we uh we have our big uh, special special Seahawks section in the paper tomorrow with a really nice story by Adam Jude on uh, Jamal Adams and, and a feature on DK Metcalf by Mike Carell and then just sort of our usual Seahawks preview stuff. So um, hopefully everybody can check that out too. Yep, definitely read that and get that tomorrow. And, of course, get the Seattle Times every day. Bob Condota, thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks, John. Yep. Hey, be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines and get you up to date on what's going on in the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. 
and time to talk about what's going on behind the lines in the National Football League. And you know, we did mention, of course, that Clay Matthews did turn down an offer to go to the Denver Broncos. And everything that I hear is that he's pretty much wanting about uh, $5 million on a one-year deal. <clears throat> Apparently, the Broncos didn't meet that mark. And I don't know, would you sign, Curtis, uh, him for a $5 million deal? Boy, that's I think that's about the very edge at which I would be comfortable signing Clay Matthews, and obviously you're not going to get him for a full season now because yeah. he's not going to play week one. But also he's going to want more than at least $2 because I believe that's still owed to him by the Rams. Yeah, the Rams it? still owe him $2 million. Yeah, so you're going to have to pay him at least $2 million in order to make it worthwhile for Clay Matthews to play. But... You know, when he is out there, he's effective. He had, what, I think seven, eight sacks last year. Uh, he is, uh, you know, getting near the end of his, his effective days in the NFL. I think he's, what, 34, 35 years old. But, I mean, you look at what the Seahawks have right now as a pass rushing option and, and how much cap space they do have, they can make it work. I, I think $5 million I would be I would be okay with, but anything beyond that, I am totally out on, John. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think that's going to be very tough because, again, it's like uh, you know you still have to make that transition right now to make the move. To, you know, you're going to top 51, but then you know by the weekend, then you have to have all the money counting that's going to be tied up on your team. And so, yeah, and of course they paid 5.5 to get Bruce Irvin, and that I think that's going to work out well. Uh, but uh, it's still got to be a thought. But you know, also, his gamble right now is that if he doesn't get something done by Saturday, then what you're looking at is that uh, you know he's not going to have any guarantees on his base salary. Yeah, so you know it's it's a gamble for him as well. Uh, John Jadevi and Clowney introductory press conference today with the Tennessee Titans with some interesting remarks about uh, why he chose Tennessee. This one standing out right now to a lot of people. Uh, talking about his relationship with Mike Vrabel, Clowney says, quote, I think Mike Vrabel is one of the smartest coaches I've ever had since I've been playing football. He knows football front and back. He knows how to put guys in position to make plays, and that's what he did in Houston. When I got here, he started moving me around already. He just put me in position to make plays. He believes I'm a playmaker, and he believes in my ability, so he keeps lining me up all over the place, and I'll keep making plays for him. I was just trying to figure out what scheme and what I wanted to be a part of. I know when I was with Vrabel in Houston, I was second-team All-Pro and three Pro Bowls with him. I was saying in my head, quote, I think I can do that with him in this system. John, we witnessed Clowney in a 4-3 defense here in Seattle, and he was he was a playmaker. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's going back to a 3-4 in Tennessee where he spent a lot of time playing under Mike Vrabel. Do you think that might not be so – do you think he might be uh, getting a little blinded by his relationship with Mike Vrabel? And, and it looked like he was more effective out of the 4-3. Yeah, I would agree. Because, <clears throat> again, I think – I mean, you know, and, that, and that's the thing that uh, is – I guess you could maybe say good for Vrabel. But he's like, okay, he goes to three Pro Bowls, and he's basically playing out of position. Because, I mean, you watched him last year. Everybody watched him last year. In college, he was a 4-3 defensive end. In the uh, you, you could see here he's a four three defensive end, and in Seattle you know he's really more of a five technique than a Leo, but he's a, a good five technique. I mean the only thing that he can't do pretty much, although you, you figure that you know he's going to have Vrabel try to get him to get more blitzes and things like that, is to uh, get the sack total in the tens. 
Yeah. Uh, John, we also saw the first injury reports uh, across the NFL get released yesterday. Not too bad for the Seahawks. They've got three guys on it. Philip Dorsett with that foot injury. I think a lot of people expect him to miss Sunday. Uh, Dwayne Brown with a knee. He's kind of always been having that knee uh, over the last couple of years. And then Cedric Abwehi with a pectoral injury. But everybody participated. Uh, Those three were limited. Uh, of those three guys, John, who do you think is is most likely to sit out? Is it Dorsett? I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy that totally because I mean this is not like a new foot injury. This has been a nagging foot injury, one that's been bothering him for some time. And so I think it's just something that they just have to manage. And so I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he's he's going to be out there. I mean, again, you know, the fact that you know it's, he's limited is not. Uh, that's not too bad because I mean, really, when you go through the injury report, it's pretty clean this week. Mm-hmm. I mean, for all the most of the teams in the league, sure, there's been a couple guys. I mean, the Von Miller just had surgery on his ankle that caught everybody off guard. Daniil Hunter with that neck injury that's kept him out since August 14th. You know, he goes on the IR, and so. But uh, you know, I think the one, and this is the good and bad of this. I mean, the good is the fact that there was no preseason games and there's minimal amount of injuries that's good but the bad part is that uh you know you're going to see a whole bunch of injuries in these games i mean because again you look at it and there's like about maybe what 21 guys that had to go on the pup list and the nfi list that you know has to be out sitting out six seasons there's very few maybe a handful of guys that are going to miss the entire season but uh you know what ends up happening now this is where you're going to start getting more achilles tears you're going to get more uh big injuries acl tears and that because this is the first time you're out there playing a full football game yeah, game speed is something that has not happened in, you know, almost 365 days for a lot of these guys. John, the last time the NFL had a compacted offseason like this was 2011 following uh the work stoppage. Uh how how like widespread were ankle injuries and knee injuries in the first couple of weeks of the NFL? Was it, you know, just kind of mind-boggling, the number that we saw that year? Well, if you go back, because, uh, again, there was preseason back uh, back in 2011, and so I, I know in the first 12 days of practice, there was 10 Achilles tears. Through the course of the season, there was 51. Overall, I think there was like double the amount of Achilles tears and a 44% increase in hamstring injuries, those soft tissue injuries. Those are the ones that really kind of get you, and uh, that's what you'll see coming up. But I know, because, I, again, I, I chart every injury along with every salary and every roster move <clears throat> and uh you know what you what you see in the first two weeks it's massive because you know guys are going out there and they're not used to playing an entire game now it could be even worse because they haven't played even a thought of a game i mean they've had scrimmages that's it and of course you know team scrimmages which is not going to be as physical as you're going to see in a regular season game so i think that's that's got to be a concern yeah, definitely something to watch out for in week one. And then, John, finally, uh, Zach Ertz, the negotiations between him and the Eagles have hit a snag to the point where Zach Ertz, when meeting with the media yesterday, said that he wants to stay in Philadelphia, but, quote, he doesn't know for sure if that feeling is mutual. Wow. So that's those are some stern words from Zach Ertz. Uh, he's their best receiving option by a mile in Philadelphia. Uh, there really isn't anybody else that comes close to his productivity or his consistency. 
if you're Philadelphia and you let Zach Ertz go, I can't imagine that would be well received by those those fans up there. No, and I, of course they're not going to let him go. They have him under contract. But uh, I think, I mean, I don't know. There's there's something about the Eagles right now that just seems to be amiss. Now we know that they're going to have a big breakup at the end of the season because they're like seventy million dollars over the cap, and so you know there's going to be a lot of adjustments coming up there. But man, when you look at it, it's like. There are so many things going on with that team. You got Zach Ertz. I did, yeah, I did, they, take, they did take care of Jason Peters. You know, Peters was a one-year, $3 million deal to fill in for Brandon Brooks at guard. And so they wanted to go to left tackle. And he says, hey, if you want to have me go to left tackle, pay me more. So they gave him $5 million more, including a $2 million signing bonus. But they did that. But you look at the receiving core. You got issues there. You look at the offensive line and say what you want. Like Lane Johnson, I think, is the best right tackle or one of the top two right tackles in football. He's had a horrible summer. I mean, first he had the virus. Then, of course, he's been fighting injuries. There's a thought that he's not going to be able to play in the opener. And so if that's going to be the case, I mean, that's, uh, you know, two changes on the offensive line. You know, Brooks out for the season, Dillard out for the season. You know, they're patching at guard. They'll be patching on the right side of the line. Yeah, and they're they're just kind of fixing it as they go, just trying to bail water to get to week one and uh, hopefully – Hopefully they write that ship there in Philadelphia. Yeah, you would hope so. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to Pete Prisco, our buddy from the CBS Sports, and see what he thinks, cbsports.com. Pete Prisco next, John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.